Greetings everyone, this is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Chointcast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. In episode 17, we meet Kimberly Davis, author of Brave Leadership. Since 2001, Kimberly has been leading development programs worldwide around authentic leadership, purpose, presence, influence, presentation skills, communication skills, engagement, and customer experience. In March of 2009, Kimberly launched On Stage Leadership, which has received rave reviews and has made an impact on leaders across the country. Kimberly also teaches authentic influence and executive presence for SMU's Cox School of Business's Executive Education Program and partners with SMU in teaching for the Bush Institute's Women's Initiative Fellowship Program, empowering female leaders from the Middle East, and for the National Hispanic Corporate Council. Welcome Kimberly Davis, who wrote a fantastic book called Brave Leadership. So Kimberly, tell us about your organization, On Stage Leadership. Well, Jim, I started On Stage Leadership about about 2008. So um, I've been in this game for quite some time. And, and I had done, in a past life, I'd done theater for about 20 years. And then I eventually moved into the world of training and development. And um, I was out in the field doing an, an engagement workshop. And I had, the, the client had, had gone out and Googled me after he had sat through day one. It was a two-day program. And he'd Googled me and, and he learned all about my acting background and the coaching work that I'd done and, and some things. And he came in the next day and he said, you know, Kimberly, I've always wanted to do some kind of leadership program based on theater tools. And I said, well, gosh, you know, I've been noodling something over for years, and but I just haven't had an opportunity to develop it. So I developed this full day experiential program for their this group of high potential uh, leaders in in their sales team. It was a pretty big pharmaceutical sales team. And um, I was terrified of making a complete fool out of myself, Jim, because this this program on stage leadership was very unusual. And I'd been in the corporate development world for a number of years, so I knew that it was this was not your typical leadership off the shelf program. And so I ran an open enrollment session of onstage leadership before I did it for this, this client, because I wanted to make sure it, it you know, wasn't going to completely fail. <laughs> and, and so I did this open enrollment session in Dallas, Texas, and uh, 12 very brave people signed up for onstage leadership. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And onstage leadership is a very experiential program. It's a very personal program, very deep dive. Um, what it, you know, often when people think about acting, they think about, you know, if I'm going to look work on acting skills or use acting tools, I'm going to learn how to fake it better, right? I'm going to, it's all going to be about, you know, trying to be something I'm not. And actually that's absolutely the opposite case because the craft of acting is really about the search for truth. It's about understanding who these characters are from that internal space, what drives them. And so on stage leadership is a real deep dive into, you know, what drives you as a leader, what's the impact that you want to have. It's really helps you drive action that stems from the inside out. And so we do do work around presence and presentation skills, but the big chunk of the, the, 
the experience is um, it's around purpose. It's what I call your super objective. What is it you stand for? What's the impact that you want to have? And how do you achieve that in all of the different situations that you face in the world? So it's um, it's a experiential deep dive into helping you show up as your most authentic and powerful self. And so, you know, you fast forward. And when I was, when I started working on my book, Brave Leadership, I, you know, I thought, well, what is the common thing, you know, for someone who's willing to show up in this world as their true self, to be authentic, to be responsible for what that means? Because so often we think of authenticity as, you know, I can be whoever I want to be, right? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think. Um, but in the framework of leadership and influence, it, it really does matter what people think and how people experience you. So in leadership and influence, do the people around you, do your, does your audience experience you as genuine, as someone who is worthy of trust and someone who is reliable and believable? And because if they don't, you're not going to be able to lead them. It's a great example. The word that really pops into my mind listening to, to that description is audience. You know, the, you, yeah. you learned about audience. Leaders, as, as they grow, also need to connect with those they serve, their audience. It's a, it's a great, it's a great That's analog. Right. And it's, and, and the audience is not just when you're, you know, giving a presentation. I think people forget that every person that you're trying to lead and influence is someone in your audience. And are they going to, are, are, are they going to want to follow you or not? Because it really is about choice. Um, you're never going to get what you need to get as a leader with a paycheck exchange. It, it, they really have to be completely all in in order to deliver the best results that they can. So when I started thinking about, you know, what is it, what is the common commonality for people who are willing to show up in the world as they truly are, be responsible for that, be responsible for the impact that they have on the human beings around them and on their organizations and on their clients and their community and, and be as powerful as they can be. The, what came up for me is bravery. What, what really they have in common is it takes a lot of bravery to be who you truly are, especially in the workplace and to do that powerfully and to do that responsibly. And so, you know, when I, when I started writing my book, I thought, no one's going to pick up a book called On Stage Leadership because they won't know what that means, right? It, the way I, when I talk about on stage leadership, it's not just because there's, we use theater tools. It's because I believe that as leaders, we're always on stage because people are always paying attention. They're always paying attention to, to what we say and, and do, and they're making decisions every minute of every day about whether or not they want to be a part of what we're doing, right? So, um, but no one's going to pick up a book called On Stage Leadership because they wouldn't have that background. They wouldn't know what does that mean. But they, they might be curious about a book called Brave Leadership. That's a and good call. Really Brave Leadership. Yeah, Brave Leadership was birthed from being in the classroom you know, for, for years and years and years with these extraordinary men and women who are willing to show up powerfully, to show their true selves, and, and to own own their bravery. And so that's kind of where, where that journey originated and what it became. I really like that story. So how do people find you then, Kimberly? How do we find you online? 
Oh, I'm all over the place, Jim. I'm on Twitter as on stage Kimberly. I'm on, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I've, my, I've got a Kimberly Davis author Facebook page. And I've got two websites. I've got the onstageleadership.com website and the braveleadershipbook.com website. Um, so I'm, I'm all over social media. And I, and I do that because I don't believe that bravery is something that lives in a vacuum. I don't think that we can be our best selves in the world totally on our own. I think we need each other. And so it, it was really important to me to create a community of people who are all looking to grow themselves and be their best and challenge each other on, on how we can, how we can be better and raise the bar for one another. So um, that's why I engage in the conversations. I know it makes sense from a business perspective, but I'm, that's not really why I do it. I, I look at the business results as a byproduct of truly engaging with the conversation and making an impact. So that's, that's where it is for me. But I hope that I hope that everyone reaches out and connects because I am better because of the people that are connected to me. I've learned from you. I've learned from every Twitter conversation I have, every Twitter chat I participate in, in all the articles that we read. I think we make each other better. But in order to do that, we've got to really engage in the conversation. And to be brave. I have to point my daughter to, yeah. this, to this part of the conversation. So before we launch into your book, Kimberly, just for fun, you're listed as a Women's Initiative Fellowship Program Instructor at the George W. Bush Institute. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Well, so I've been working for Southern Methodist University and their executive ed for the Cox Business School Um for gosh, I want to say eight years, maybe nine years. And um, the, the Bush Library is on, on SMU's campus. And so when um, the Bush Institute was looking at developing this women's initiative program, women's initiative fellowship program, uh, they turned to SMU and said, hey, you know, who are the faculty members that you would recommend and think are the best fit for this program? And I was Part, I, I, I was part of that core group of faculty that that began the program. We started the program, and the program it is so extraordinary, Jim. What they're doing is they're they're bringing in emerging leaders from North Africa and the Middle East, uh, female leaders, and they're they're putting them through some pretty extensive leadership development work. I mean, some of it's I mean, this is work that a lot of U.S. companies aren't giving their their people, and yet these women, you know, are coming in and they're getting some really great leadership development training. They're also um, meeting with different organizations throughout the the U.S. For a long time, the the program had a mentorship component to it, and so uh, it's just been a huge huge gift to me to be able to be a part of this program because I, you know, I tell you what, these women are extraordinary. We've uh, in the past, we've worked with women from Egypt and Tunisia this coming year where they're expanding that to women from six different countries are going to participate at the same time, which is extraordinary. I know, I know there are going to be women from Afghanistan and Morocco and I'm trying, I'm, I'm struggling to remember um, Egypt, Tunisia, and the other two, maybe Jordan. Um, but 
what I've learned from these women and learning from hearing their stories and their resilience and their and watching their courage to really take on these are issues that I can't even imagine taking on. And they are just some of the most courageous women I've ever met in my lifetime. Um, I, I would love to say that they are getting as much from me as I am from them. But I, 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 I think, <laughs> I think I've run a great game because I think I actually get more from teaching than they get from, from being my students because it is just an, an extraordinary thing to be a part of. It's the ultimate win-win separately beyond, beyond our joint cast that we're doing today. I definitely want to uh, share some, some thoughts about that because there's um, we have, we have more in common than you might imagine. So to your book now, Brave Leadership, my review yeah. jumped towards the end. Sometimes that happens and it's because you put your Brave Leadership manifesto, which I saw as a leadership philosophy through my lens. It's on uh -huh. It was on page yeah. 267. So what do you think of me calling it out, characterizing it like that? Well, so for me, the, brave, the, the manifesto is a declaration. Is that this is, this, hey, people, this is what we stand for. And if you want to be part of this community, you want to be part of this tribe, you know, this is what you read to go, are these my people or are these not my people? Because, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't think brave leadership lives in a vacuum. I think we need each other. And so it was, it's kind of like the Declaration of Independence. This is what we stand for as a people, as Americans, right? Are we doing this or are we not? And then it's up to each one of us as individuals to go, okay, how does that matter to me? What's the impact I want to have in the face of this is what we stand for collectively as Americans, right? And so it, for me, it was a way to, to call to a tribe to say, you know, is this something that's important to you or not? And if it is, you don't have to take this on by yourself. There are other people that want to, they, they want to commit to growing in this way. So that's, that's kind of what it was for me. I love the term tribe, and it, um, it, it works well, and the declaration. Some of those things you describe, like what you'll stand for, what you won't, or your declaration, those are elements in our courses that we want to see in a, a written leadership philosophy. So that's very, very fun. Early in the book, now going back to the beginning, you cite some pretty amazing yeah. statistics, this dramatic reduction of measured creativity starting as early as three to five years old. What do you believe is causing yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that, that's the time in life when we're really starting to get involved in structured activities, right, Jim? So, so that's when your parents are getting in, getting you into little league, and you start to, you know, you go to Sunday school, and you might do dance class, and you start doing these very structured activities. Before that time, you pretty much can roam and play and express yourself in the world however you want. But once you get involved in these structures, structured activities, there's going to be rules you have to follow and ways of behavior that are going to be expected. And that's a good thing, right? Because if we didn't have ways of behavior that are expected, we wouldn't have a society. So it's all part of how do you learn to fit into a society, which is a good thing. At the same time, the way these rules are communicated, the way that we hear them, the way that we interact with them um, will have a, a different effect on each one of us because our brains are going to hear things in different ways. And sometimes we hear things as they are meant to be heard. And sometimes we will hear something that's way that's not at all 
what the intent what the intention was behind what is being said. So for for example, you might remember this from the book when I was when I was a kid and I went into dance class and and um, I, I really ballet was not not a good thing for me. I, it, was, it was a real struggle. And I got out of ballet and I, you know, I say to my mom, I hate ballet. Please don't make me go back. And she, you know, she looks at me and she's so honey, you know, I, I, I'm so sorry. You're, you're not athletic just like me. And from that moment forward, you're not athletic became my truth, right? You're not athletic. Okay. Well, it's not that she was, it was not, Sent, said with any malice, she was trying to soothe her, her stressed out child, right? She didn't want to deal with, with, you know, me feeling bad about not liking ballet or not being good at ballet. She was just trying to, to love me. That's what she was doing. But in my brain, I heard you're not athletic. So for the rest of my young life, and really up until my late 30s, which I'm kind of dating myself, but um, I lived into that, right? So you're not athletic became my truth, and I lived into that truth. So, you know, it would, it would when I'd go out on the playground and other kids would be playing kickball, I wasn't the one jumping in and trying kickball because why would I? I'm not athletic, right? You know, and I, when, it, when I was... You branded yourself. I branded myself, right? That was That was my truth. And that's what we do with everything, right? You're the, you know, you're the, the, don't be the smart aleck in the room. Okay, now I'm the smart aleck. Don't, you know, you need to, um, you're, you're so quiet. You're too quiet. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm too quiet. There's something wrong with me. These are messages that we get as we're growing up. They're not necessarily meant to have any impact or, or, or not. They're just messages we get. We make meaning of these messages. And we live into that and they become our truths and they become those barriers to brave for us. They keep us from fully expressing ourselves in the world. Because while that study that you referenced was really about creativity, you know, when I think about what is creativity, creativity is really just unique human expression, right? It's your willingness to show up uniquely in the world. And so it makes sense that our creativity starts to diminish as we start to start to bury ourselves, barrier, create barriers for ourselves around what's okay, what's not okay, what's permissible, what's not permissible, what about us seems to work for other people, and what about us doesn't seem to work for people, and we start we start adapting and adjusting to those messages in order to survive in the world. You could say our bravery becomes curtailed in a way. Absolutely. You know, and it's not an intentional thing. This is just part of natural human evolution, but we get the message that part of, you know, how we show up in the world isn't okay, right? And so when when I think about the challenges that that brings, is that when, is, is when we think about those messages, when we're focused on all of the things that we're told we should be, we should we shouldn't do. All of those those barriers um, to brave. When we focus our attention there, that's what gets in the way of us taking powerful action. If instead we can refocus our attention, so we're not focused on the things we shouldn't do, shouldn't be that we're not, but instead shift our focus to the impact we want to have outside ourselves. What that does is it harnesses our attention. So our attention is not focused on those self-related issues. So it's not focused on 
all the pain and danger and the things that get in that might get in the way but our attention is focused on impact our attention is focused on on uh taking action to achieve an impact on outside of ourselves what i call your super objective i love the focus on the outside because you know what you you cite Brene Brown's term jockeying for attention and i want you yeah. to describe that but my my first take on that is almost the opposite tends tends to occur as a result can yeah you... well so jockeying for attention is really about yourself right that's you're being self focused if you're jockeying up for attention you're really not focused on impact you're focusing on okay i need to feel good because and she is so this is why she is so amazing because in that one small phrase she is able to to say so much because you know when we as human beings we hunger to be seen and appreciated for who we are and what we bring and in order to do that in order to be seen we do a lot of things that aren't necessarily working for us right you know we try to prove ourselves we try to be what others think we should be or and and as the world gets noisier and noisier our strategies to get that very human need met to be seen they're not always going to serve us right and and so it's especially become a huge problem with social media because, you know, you you do something to get likes, to get shares, and you get more likes and it feels good. And so, oh, you want to do that again. Let's get more likes and get more shares. And, and what's happening is it's triggering that pleasure part in your brain that, that, that kicks out the dopamine and it's like, oh, this feels good. I want more likes. I want more likes. And you keep pushing and pushing and pushing to get more and more attention. And often when we're focused on getting the attention, it, our values take a hit. We stop showing up as our best self because we're, we're trying to just get more of that attention. And we often lose who we are in the, in, in the process. You came up with a nice term there that also packs quite a punch. Our values take a hit. I really like that. Yeah. Now, yeah. You, you mentioned something that is a very recurring theme that I foresee writing a chapter in a book about sometime. You mentioned Carol Dweck's comparison of a growth mindset with a fixed mindset. And how can we yeah. think about those two mindsets from the perspective of a leader? You know, it's really interesting, Jim. I think a lot of the work that, that has been done in leadership development might actually have been setting us back a little bit in, in terms of the whole mindset thing. Because for years, um, we have we found it to be very important to give to assign people their leadership style. What's your leadership style? And what that does is it says pretty much this is who I am. It's black and white. This is my style, and it's okay that I don't have another style. And you know I think that's a pretty limiting thing. And when you when you say I'm a performance driven leader, I'm not really into the soft stuff. Well, okay, if you're really about performance, maybe you're leaving performance off the table by not dealing with the soft stuff. Maybe the soft stuff is going to make a difference in your ability to get performance out of other people. And so I think when we decide who we are and what, what we do, it's going to limit, limit our ability to grow and change and iterate and, and work on getting better. Right. Um, so much of the, the fixed mindset says, I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. I am this. I am not that. And so it really limits our ability to bring our full selves and to, to 
work on the things that may not come naturally to us. You know, there's some people, empathy is not a natural thing, but it is, it is science proves that it is something we can work on. It is a skill that we can grow. So if you've made a decision, no, I'm not good at this, you're going to live into that, just, just like I lived into not being athletic, right? And so that fixed mindset will really limit your ability to get the results that you seek. I was thinking about tying to the branding just as you were saying that. Now, what I, what I think, Jim's opinion, I think the heart mm-hmm. of your book is when you call out our individual fear of vulnerability. So tell us, yeah. a, tell us a little bit about that. I think that's the core. Yeah, well, so uh, vulnerability is, I believe, it's both our biggest barrier to brave and our greatest gateway to brave. So it is really both. As, as a human being, we, we are vulnerable creatures, right? We don't want to be hurt. We don't, we don't want to um, be rejected. Um, part of our survival as a species demands that we don't, don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And yet at the same time, that, that inability to really allow ourselves to be vulnerable gets in our way of being able to connect powerfully with other people. And so what, you know, often when we think about vulnerability, we, when we think about the things that trigger vulnerability, what we're focusing on is the pain and danger that are associated with that vulnerability. So if I, if I, make a mistake, what are people going to think about me? If I, if I, um, forget something, I'm going to look stupid. You know what? It's, it's, it's that the, the, the pain that comes from what other people are going to think, the danger that comes from not being able to add from a anthropological sense, really survive in the world. If people experience us as vulnerable, when, when we're vulnerable, what's, what's, what starts to happen is our, our, the amygdala in our brain gets triggered and it starts sending out these body sensations. So we start to feel our tingling in our fingers and we start to feel our stomach fluttering, our, our breath might, we might get short of breath. And we react to those feelings uh, physiologically uh, to protect ourselves. So if, if we're feeling uh, vulnerable in a meeting, if uh, we we may hide in the back corners of the meeting room and not say anything because we're afraid of what other people are thinking. And what, what we're, what's happening is we're sitting in the meeting room and all of a sudden we feel this sense of white noise. You know, I, I don't know what I want to say. I, I, we start to feel tingling in our fingers. We start to feel those sensations of vulnerability, which tell us, protect yourself, don't say anything. It's, there's danger. We're either going to fight, flee, or freeze, and we tend to freeze up in that situation. It's a great answer. Now, you um, challenge, or another term could be caution, the practice of simply listing our core values. And that got my attention. Yeah. I liked it. Why, why is that? What have you found out? Well, so I think really... Oh, honing in on your core values is an incredibly important work, right? I think being able to name this is, this is what's important to me is, is critical, but I think it's a starting point because knowing your core values isn't necessarily going to change your behavior. And so, um, for, for example, if you were to say, you know, I believe in 
dignity and respect for all people, right? That might be something you value. And that's great, but you can believe and believe and believe until the cows come home, but that's not going to change a darn thing. So values in of themselves are not actionable. That's why when I talk about the super objective, we always frame it in using active verbs. It's an active language. So it puts you on an active path. So if we were to shift the values of, of dignity and respect for all the people and make that shift that into super objective language, we might say, I champion respect and dignity for all people. Well, you can't champion from the sidelines, Jim. To champion is going to require something of you. It's going to require that you that you act. It's going to require that you, you know, look for something to respect about people that you may not necessarily like or agree with, right? If you're truly a champion for dignity and respect, you're not, you're not saying I'm a champion for dignity and respect for people just like me. No, you're saying I'm a champion for dignity and respect. It forces you to hold your feet to the fire. And when we can just name our values, we tend to only do something about it when it's easy. But if you can put it into active language, it forces you to walk your talk. Because you can then say and take responsibility for, did I do that or did I not in this situation? It's a wonderful reminder to us. Uh, How many times have we been in an organization where we walk in and we'll see a lot of commonly mentioned core values and then our first interaction with the organization uh, (laughs) doesn't yeah doesn't coincide with those right and it's it's you know this is i mean it's a real caution to all of us even those of us who've crafted a leadership philosophy is it good enough right is it good enough am i acting asking for feedback is it actionable are you congruent with that are your actions congruent with who you say you are and here's the thing so that's totally going to affect how people experience you, Jim, right? If, if people don't experience you as congruent with your, your words and your actions aren't in alignment, right? And that's going to affect whether or not they want to be a part of what you're doing, whether or not they want to follow, how well they engage. But I think there's a bigger piece missing from that, that it's not just about what other people think and how other people experience you. It's also about how you experience yourself. And if you are constantly behaving in a way that's incongruent with who you truly are, you can't hide from yourself. You know it. And I think, I think confidence comes from knowing that we can count on ourselves. So when we go against our own values again and again and again, all it does is it erodes our confidence and our ability to be powerful in the situations that we need to really show up as our most powerful self. Now you've really set up something well there. And I, I've written so many notes down. You've got a lot of great phrases, such as when we can count on ourselves. But this is definitely a Kimberly term coming up. Own our own power. So what what are some of the best ways for us to do that, to own our own power? To own your power. Well, so what you have to really understand first is what happens to you in the face of stress and anxiety and vulnerability and change. How does that show up for you? Because what I firmly believe is that if we can name it, we can do something about it. But most of us, we don't name it. We're like, you know, when, when, when we feel vulnerable, we're just hoping to power through or get through or survive. So we just, we just kind of shrink back or we, or we run away or we, we do something that is going to get in the way of us being our best. 
So the first thing to do in order to own your power is to really be able to name specifically, this is what happens to me when I am I'm find myself feeling vulnerable. This is what happens to me when I feel like I'm put on the spot. This is what happens to me physically, emotionally, and mentally. If you can name it, you can do something about it. The physical stuff is so much easier to deal with, right? So if you can physically name, well, you know, I, tar- I start to roll my shoulders in. My breathing gets really shallow. I start to lock my elbows into my side. Well, then you can go, okay, if I can name it, I can do something about it. Next time you find yourself in a situation where you feel vulnerable, you roll your shoulders back. You take a deep breath, slow from your belly. You know, it, you can physically ma- use technique to override that experience. From an emotional and mental standpoint, if you find yourself in a vulnerable situation where you start to shrink back and you're giving your power away, what you, know, what you need to recognize is what you're focused on is the pain and danger. You're focused on what might happen to you. Your focus is completely self-related. And so you need to shift your focus to outside yourself. So if, if, you know, if you're worried about what people are going to think about you, stop thinking about what they're going to think about you and instead think about what's the impact you want to have on them. How can you draw them in? How can you uh, ignite their curiosity? How can you focus your attention on, on having an impact on them? Because what that will do is it will release you of that experience of vulnerability, and you'll be able to step into your most powerful self. What a great response and great advice. Now, you mentioned just a little bit ago you were talking about empathy. And if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I'd like you to develop that. I think empathy is huge, but I'm curious how you describe um, the practice of empathy. How can that help us as leaders? Well, empathy is really uh, understanding things from another person's perspective. In the theater, we had a, we have a great tool called the magic if. So if you were to, if you were, you would ask yourself, how would I feel? What would I do? If I were in this situation and it forces you to step into another person's shoes, uh, and think from their perspective without judgment. And I think that's the real problem that we, we tend to run into. You can go, well, I, you know, I know how he should feel or I know how I think he feels. But you go, okay, well, it's, it's really easy to, to judge, you know, the homeless guy on the street who is asking for change, right, if you're walking by on your way to work. It's a harder thing to do if you go, wow, if I'm to step into this guy's shoes for real. I slept on the ground last night, probably the night before, the night before that. None of my family will speak to me. I, I, I've got so much pain inside that I drink to numb the pain. How does that change your perspective of this person? It changes the way you show up in the world when you can step into the shoes of the person that you're talking to without judgment. And the truth is, is if we need people to experience this as authentic, as genuine, as worthy of trust, as reliable, as believable, we have to be able to look at the world from their perspective. What are their needs? What's true for them? It forces empathy and action. It's, you're really fortunate that you were forced, if you will, to, to address that so early in, in your career as an actress. It's... Um... Something that many many people seem really uncomfortable addressing as adults. But you know what's so interesting, Jim? It wasn't until I was an adult, really, that I 
recognized that all of these things I had learned in order to bring a living, breathing character to the stage, right, were transferable in real life. And, and it's still something in the theater nobody talks about. You know, I, I, you, you go into theater training and everyone's talking about how you use this for Broadway or how you use this for screen. But nobody's saying, well, you know what, the tools that you're learning right now are some of the most transferable tools that you could ever learn. They're incredible in business. They're incredible as a parent. They're incredible as making you a better citizen. But nobody talks about that. It's all about how do you get cast as the role, right? So it really took me a long time in my career. I had been in, in learning and development for a number of years before I went, wait a second, the things that they're dealing with here in this company are the same, same problems that we were facing as actors on the stage. And it took me some time to connect those dots because it really, it's about understanding humanity. It's understanding human nature and um, it's, it's, it's psychology and sociology and anthropology all mixed together. Right. Maybe a bit late, but you do get credit for connecting the dots. So. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Glad, <laughs> I just wish gl it didn't take me so long. Right. Glad, glad <laughs> to hear that. Well, you know, we, we, we shared before we started, you know, some of my own, um, slow revelations right so it's i think it's part of the human experience now near the end of the book yeah. kimberly you describe seven ways to cultivate brave and so you know that's quite a discussion but tell us tell us one of the ones that's been really personally rewarding for you you know gosh jim this was the hardest question that you asked me i have to say because when i think of those seven i i have a hard time teasing them apart as to what would be what would be the most rewarding, most important? Um, really, uh, oh boy, if I had to pick, if I had to pick, I think the first one would be uh, create your own process. It's give yourself permission to learn the way you learn and, and do things in a way that works for you. Try to, you know, so many people are really quick to say, if you follow my 10 steps, you are going to be guaranteed to be, you know, successful. Well, I think that's a bunch of hooey because I don't think anybody's singular process is the key. I think, you know, I've got something to learn from you. I've got something to learn from millions of people out there. I want to learn and absorb and put it through my own personal sieve and figure out what is it I need to step into my best self. And so, you know, I think giving yourself permission to come up with your own process is one of the most powerful things. But then, of course, I can't just stop there because I, the other piece was really um, cultivating a brave community, surrounding yourself with brave. Um, because being around brave people, people that are working to be who they are powerfully in, their, in this world, I think is the most inspiring, re-energizing thing in in my life. So I can't tease them apart, Jim. I'm so sorry. I think you weave them together very well. And I think, and I think that's a, a great conclusion to, to the last question about your book, because I, I sure hope that um, I'm becoming part of your tribe and perhaps you're becoming part of my tribe in this process. Um, oh, I absolutely love that. Looking ahead, Kimberly, what, what are you working on now that you'd like to share with the audience? Tell us something fun we'd like to know. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm working on a, a couple of things. Um, one thing that I'm, I'm working to do is to create a brave leadership program 
that uh, I can train other trainers to deliver uh, because I think this con- these conversations are so powerful and I don't want myself to be the roadblock. I want, I want other people to be able to, to have these conversations. And, and um, I, I truly think everybody in the world should know their super objective because it's, it's changed my life. You know, I think it's a very powerful tool. Um, I'm doing a big book study for a, a brave leadership starting uh, October 8th that's going to unfold on Twitter. So if you're interested in being part of the book study, it's going to be free and I'm going to be leading it. So it's a chance to really dig into the conversation and we're going to be, that's going to be unfolding over 24 months or 24 weeks, um, 24 weeks uh, as we focus on a different chapter every week. And um, I'm also, I'm also noodling over a way to uh, get this conversation make make this conversation more accessible for the schools because i've been i've been so fortunate i've got this huge group of ed- educators that have been um champions of my work and just they they've inspired me so much and i just think can you imagine going into high school at the time of your life when you're so focused on yourself and what people think about you and not looking stupid and all of these things. And if you could refocus your attention on the impact that you wanted to have outside yourself and know what you stood for and know that what you stand for is, uh, is an amalgamation of, of your values and your strengths and what you bring to the world. I think it could change. I think it could change high school for a lot of people, which you know, might not be such a bad thing. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to get the conversation into the high school that's in a way that speaks their language, not corporate speak. Right. What if you could just change one just to start? That'd be wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly Davis. Brave Leadership. Look it up. Follow her. Check out On Stage Leadership and get involved with her, um, 8 October. Thank you, Kimberly Davis, for a wonderful joint cast. I really, really feel energized thank you so at the much, end of this. Jim. It's been an absolute joy. I, I so loved our conversation. Thank you for listening today. If you've enjoyed the joint cast, a positive review and kind word to your friends and colleagues would be most appreciated. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag Choink, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E. 